Now, the outcome of Israel's election on Tuesday continued to be uncertain for much of yesterday. Such was the tight race between incumbent Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu seeking a record fifth term and former military chief Benny Gantz of the Blue and White Alliance. Both men celebrated victory initially. It does look like Netanyahu prevailed in the end. Uh, Gantz has conceded defeat. He did so Wednesday evening. Let's look at the ramifications with Professor Yossi Meckelberg, Senior Consulting Research Fellow at Chatham House, also teaches at Regents University in London. And thank you for joining us. My pleasure. So are you comfortable at this point, speaking still of Prime Minister Netanyahu, based on the results? Well, based on the results, he's best positioned to form the next coalition and having his fifth term as as Israeli Prime Minister. Uh, the numbers don't lie. The, the right-wing block within Israel seems to get around 65 of the seat. One needs 61 seats for a majority within the Israeli Knesset, uh, which gives him the, the clear advantage. It was a fairly low turnout, wasn't it? How, how representative of the people as a whole do you, do you see this selection as being, though? Well, it was close to 68%. It's not high, it was lower, almost by 5% from the previous election. But as all elections, they are decided by those who bother to turn out. Uh, some did it because... They are pathetic. Some did it because they're protesting, including the, some of the Israeli-Palestinians that don't see following the legislation of the nation-state law that bluntly discriminate them that they should take part in, in what's seen as the, the democratic process. But at the end of the day, you know, all, only those who, who go to the, the, the polling station and, and cast their votes count. What does this victory for the right-wing coalition or potential victory as it's looking right now mean for, for example, Israeli settlements and for Palestinian people? Well, I, I think what it means to the relations between Israel and the Palestinians is that if you change, it will change only for the worse, definitely not for the better. Uh, the parties that Netanyahu will sit within in, in coalition I want to entrench the, the occupation they would like to enlarge the settlements and Netanyahu himself whether one wants to believe him or not different question uh, said two three days before the, the elections that his, his aim his objective is to annex area C in the West Bank which is which originally was assigned to a Palestinian state but it's under Israeli control now and comprise more than 60% of the West Bank. This looks, if the, if the coffin of the, of the two-state solution needed, needed another nail, uh, this is the one. Well, Netanyahu made that part of his campaign pledge, didn't he? How significant do you think that was in the end? Again, sometimes with Netanyahu, there are like you, you, one thing that you deal with two different entities, one during campaign that he allows himself to say whatever he thinks the winning votes, and he goes to the very extreme in his incitement against minorities, against the media, against the left, against anyone that he thinks will stand in his way to win election. And then there is the, the Netanyahu the day after, 
as he said yesterday when he saw the result, I want to unite and unify uh, the country, which is very difficult considering the obnoxious campaign that he, he conducted. Uh, time will tell, but, you know, in the past it was at least the international community, the United States, the European Union that stopped him from doing such things. I don't see it's any any force in the international community that is eager to do such thing. I think he might talk himself into do uh, at least an annexation of some of the West Bank. Which some critics have said would end any hope for a two-state solution. Where does that currently stand? We, many of us will have grown up hearing about this two-state solution uh, and increasingly perhaps seen it as a, as a dream. Well, it's been a dream for quite a few of us. We lived through, through the Oslo process from 1993 in a hope that this will bring to a two-state solution to uh, independent political entities that live peacefully in coexistence side by side. Gradually, this dream uh, has died down, disappeared, decimated by, by events and by lack of leadership. Uh, any act of expansion of settlements, annexation of parts, of the West Bank, the continuum of, of the blockade on Gaza leaves very little room for, for even negotiating a peace agreement because the trust is not there. Uh, you know, we hear from Washington that uh, you know Trump and others talk about the deal of the century. Trump said today that the victory of Netanyahu is good for the peace process. And now it's time to put his money where his mouth even to see is there a plan or it's all talk. Right. We also, of course, may see some unrest or concern with neighbouring countries. Does this fifth, this record term for Prime Minister Netanyahu increase the possibility of of conflict in the Middle East, maintain where we're currently at? Do you, do you see any changes from him in the future beside the settlement issue that we've been covering? I think it increases the, the chances of and the likelihood. Of, of conflict with Hamas in Gaza, for instance. I think it increases the likelihood of a third intifada in the West Bank. Uh, if this, the, you know, the policy of expansion of settlement and then continue of the occupation. As far as the region is concerned, there are different alliances here. And uh, what, you know, the, the developing and the evolving relations with with the Gulf, with Saudi Arabia, with with other countries in the Gulf, that see that the main danger comes from Iran. This is not going to change, and I, I think the sadly the Palestinian issue is not a priority or not a high priority anymore. It might be priorities for many people who live in the Middle East, even outside the Middle East, but not for government, and they won't risk necessarily. Uh, the, the 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 relations with Israel as they develop in the last few years for the Palestinians. So I think it's time to go back to the drawing board and to think how this can can, can change. And I think the Europe and other countries should should look into it and see how they can contribute for for a change. Regarding this very significant percentage of people who would have favoured a, a blue and white alliance victory. I, I can't help thinking of them. Um, what, what kind of future do you think they dreamed of? Because this is an alliance of, of many different kinds of people, isn't it? It's, it's not exactly one political view. No, it's, it's 
strength and its weakness at the same time. Because there is not unity of thought, there is not the unity of, of a direction there. But where the blue and white failed is actually to move voters from the right-wing bloc into the centrist. They are not a, a left, as Netanyahu tried to portray them. What they did is actually they 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 took most of their votes for from the Labour Party or what was known as the Zionist camp, which was another alliance, including the Labour Party. The Labour Party is left. You know, if you look at the Zionist camp, that the Labour Party was the main component there. They had 24 seats. The blue and white includes another party, Yeshatid, that had already. Uh, around 17 uh, uh, seats. So what we see, it's this this is the kind of the center-right with some left-leaning, but what didn't happen, not many crossed from the right-wing bloc into the blue and white, and definitely not to the uh, left, including Labour, the Labour and, and Merit's party. So as impressive is that for someone to come out of nowhere and to gain so many seats, at the, at the final analysis, it's failed to reach the ultimate goal. Perhaps it, it's a goal, though, that's still alive, especially when we look at the circumstances of Prime Minister Netanyahu. You would think that someone securing a record fifth term, even exceeding the founding father, would would have a, a level of support that would perhaps uh, resound above the the critics. But but this is a man who's facing possible indictment in three graft cases. He's a man who's accused of uh, leading a smear campaign against rivals. What's the legacy looking like for Prime Minister Netanyahu? I think for Netanyahu, this stage of his political career is, is, is staying in power and staying out of the court case. That's, that is him. I think yesterday, more than anything else, he was relieved to see that he can form another coalition for him to fight the legal battles against the, the corruption, serious corruption allegations that, you know, pending hearing probably will end in court. It's easier to do it from the from, from the position of, of being a prime minister. Uh, can he function if he's indicted? Can a prime minister, he himself, when he, when he criticized former Prime Minister Olmert, his argument was against Olmert, if you are indicted, as Olmert was indicted at the time, had been indicted, that you can't be both uh, fighting corruption allegation, indictment, and at the same time being a Prime Minister of country with so many challenges. I think that he should apply the same to himself if this is, this is the case. I think at the end of the day, Again, Netanyahu is still there and talking about legacy, but he's someone that he divided the country. He's a very divisive, a toxic politician that has very little solution for the country. What works for him very well is that, in many ways, the international environment is conducive to kind this kind of uh, populist, nationalist leaders. They actually helped him in this election. You see, Trump did his, his best uh, to to help him with certain moves, Putin did the same, and even Bolsonaro from Brazil came to visit. So I think in in a world that populism uh, uh, prevails, Netanyahu is very comfortable and managed to put 
to, to convey it and project it to his own supporters. And, uh, yeah, not just populism, but as you've just highlighted there with the leaders of the US, Russia and Brazil, there's always this outside interest slash interference, depending, I guess, on one's view of that. Professor Mecklenburg, we have to leave it there. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Professor Yossi Mecklenburg, Senior Consulting Research Fellow at Chatham House, speaking to us from London there. Let's get over to our news bite now with Shinyana.